Hello, I'm Suzanne. And I'm Peter. And you're listening to Sex Advice for Seniors. And we're here today with Barbara Bloomfield, who works as a relationship counsellor and a trainer and has written several books on relationships. But one of her particular interests, which we've never spoken about on this podcast, is about what happens when one or both people are neurodivergent and particularly relationships where one person is autistic. Subject that we've not discussed before and we're fascinated by because, of course, neurodivergency seems to be a hot topic these days. Yeah, it seems to be. And uh, I was wondering, really, um, what the relationship between neurodivergency and autism and Asperger's and all those sorts of things is with attitudes towards sex is there any discernible attitude that that can be um that can be seen within that community yes very much so peter um let me just go back a little bit for anyone that's listening and isn't quite sure what we mean by autism we're talking about um certain kinds of traits like lack of empathy yeah um slowness of processing information difficulties with sequencing and telling stories, uh, sensory sensitivities, quite difficult things in relationships. And boy, you know, I've, I've counseled thousands of couples um, where this was an issue and uh, lots of them break up, you know, because it's, it's, it's either the neurotypical person doesn't understand or um, the neurodiverse person or the neurodivergent person um, just cannot bring themselves into line to have that relationship. It's, it's very hard. So that's just a bit of background there. But to, to answer your question, yes, it's really interesting. I did quite a lot of research on the coach yesterday coming back from London. And um, basically, uh, autistic people fall into two camps and they fall at the extremes they are either hypersexual uh, which means um, really having uh, an obsession Mm. with sex of some kind or they are at the other end of the extreme because the stereotype is that autistic people are not interested in sex but of course that's just not true so you're uh, in a study that was done of a hundred ish neurotypicals and a hundred ish autistic people the there was much more diversity in the autistic people uh, than there was in the neurotypicals there was all sorts of paraphilic sexuality uh frotterism i've got the words here they're wonderful (laughs) fetishism uh exhibitionism bdsm transvestism some of these things have now become much more socially acceptable and are not you know given a label anymore but some of them are, of course, you know, possibly illegal. Voyeurism, mm. for example, can can be an illegal thing. So it's a very interesting sexual profile for, for mm. autistic people. And, and what interests me also is, is the way that autism is often, um, or at least Asperger's or ADHD, is, is kind of spreading out into the into the public imagination now and um, a lot of people say that they have some form of it to explain away some of their behaviors and can that 
can that be applied to sexual behaviours as well? Yeah, God, that's about three questions there, Peter. <laughs> yeah, that's me, yeah. uh, Let's just go back to the... <laughs> yes, that's you, Peter, I like that. Um, let's just go to the... Um, the First of all, is the question of the cultural context, really, because I think you're right that a lot of people are grabbing, if you like, uh, neurodivergency mm-hmm. as a way of being different. Uh, I'm going to say that I'm going to duck because, you know, there are so many very, very empowered autistic people out there who would be spitting right now, possibly coming around to my house and knocking on the door. But but I, what I notice um, through following lots of autistic communities online is that they are they are very um, strong on their rights, of course, but they tend to reflect the middle class, what we used to call the high functioning, the Aspie, we don't use those words anymore, um, but the, the, you know, the, the kind of very middle class, high, highly paid or would be highly paid um, person with autism rather than you know it's a high proportion of people with autism are non-verbal they don't get much of a look in i have to say in the discourses that Mm. are going on at the moment around autism it's all about hey i don't talk to neurotypicals anymore you know i'm so empowered you are gonna get i'm gonna get really (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm trying to be honest to my own point yeah no it sounds right yeah 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 i mean i'm curious to know what how we, if we, and how we can recognize people that are on this neurodiverse spectrum, because of course, the things that we immediately think of, or I think of is sort of, you know, either people that lack empathy, or people who are, uh, who can't focus, for instance, and find it difficult to focus. And I know that amongst my friendship group, three people of come out, if you like, as being ADHD. I don't know if they were self-diagnosed or if they went to see a professional, but certainly we've come to think of these people on this spectrum in very particular ways. Yeah, that's true. And of course, the the, the neurodivergent spectrum is actually really wide. I mean, it encompasses Tourette. Some people say... It encompasses OCD, uh, uh, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, uh, all those dis words, as well as ADHD and autism. Um, So it's a very Mm. wide kind of bag. And um, in Australia, if you, I know most about autism because I studied with a guy called Professor Tony Atwood in Australia, which was fantastic for me. That was about five years ago. And they they were giving you at that point 300 Australian dollars a year if you had an autistic person in the family to get support from an organization. And you can imagine people were piling into their doctors to get the 300 dollars and so and and also my 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 sister-in-law who's a psychiatrist she said to me and i thought it was a very good point that she made she said being autistic or adhd is a lot more socially acceptable than being called bpd but you know borderline personality uh so it's actually socially acceptable and it's Mm. even really cool actually at the moment to be called neurodivergent isn't it Mm -hmm. oh yeah absolutely 
Yeah, I think yeah. I think you know most people say, well, isn't everybody a little bit neurodivergent, especially because social media and everything has made it so difficult to concentrate, and we're so easily distracted by you know being bombarded by everything, isn't it? You know, how many people are not on the spectrum? Well, that is a phrase that goes down really, really bad people, because they would say, actually, being autistic is no fun in the neurotypical world. We are so prone to depression. We are so prone to people not liking us, not getting jobs. About 70% of autistic people don't have work, don't have jobs. Uh, they really are... Um, in fact, I, I've got a piece in The Guardian today, um, as it happens, and the person that was arguing with me, she was saying, well, I work with autistic people and they're a pain in the ass, basically. Uh, and I, I was saying mm. the opposite, you know, come on, you know, be a little bit more generous and kind and, uh, you know, every team needs an autistic person. Um, but she wasn't having it, you know, so, so there's so much um, prejudice that they face. Yeah. And so getting back to Peter's point about being in a relationship or being sexual with a with a person that's autistic, um, what are some of the challenges of that? Yeah, well, <clears throat> you know, I've got personal experience of this because um, I've been with my husband so 36 years we've been together and we've known each other for 41 years. Um, so it's quite a long time. <laughs> and um, we, I both, I thought pretty much since autism became a thing that was recognized in the uk which is really in the 1990s it started it, it was only hans asperger's uh, work was only translated into english in the 1990s which just shows you how recent it is surprisingly and uh, i always felt like you know it, things were there were issues and we both did a test which uh, I, I sometimes do with my clients and we came out in the 20s and that means that we are not high enough to be called autistic but we are higher cognitive so we're not in the average band we're in the higher cognitive band and if you think of um, autism or you, you sort of conceptualize it as one end of the spectrum is very very emotional people like the Kardashians and the other end is the big bang <laughs> the big bang theory you know we come up more right, closer right. to the the that end of the spectrum how do you you know what are some of the challenges that come up in a relationship yeah. when you're with when you're either one or both yeah. of you is is autistic yeah i think um so just sort of come into that my my understanding about myself is that I have a natural empathy for autistic people and oh, right. I'm very attracted to autistic people and I don't really know why uh, but I've got mm. some ideas why but and some of them are not very flattering to me actually but um, I think the biggest problem is is it comes in the area of lack of empathy really because somebody uh, who's autistic will have great difficulty it's not that they don't feel empathy, they do feel empathy and they want to show it to their partner, but they don't know how to show it. And that's something that you cannot really learn. You can learn to live with it as an autistic person and you can improve a little mm. bit, but you're never going to be have that natural empathy that we might see in a, in a counsellor. Well, hopefully, although I mean, I'm a counsellor, I don't 
necessarily think of myself as highly empathic person yeah so yeah that's the biggest problem really and i, I wanted to give you an example which um is, is a fictionalized example from my practice uh so the man here is called kirash and the woman's called dilla and she's the one with autism um so he runs into the sitting room to tell his wife that his mum has been taken to hospital oh god dilla i just heard my mum's fallen down the curve an ambulance has taken her to hospital and dilla says how long did the ambulance take and he says i don't know how long it took come on let's get to the hospital get your shoes on and she says what color was the ambulance was it one of those private ambulances and he says i've no idea hurry up and upon this is this is absolutely crucial for for the the mismatched couple if you like upon close questioning the woman said that in order to know how to respond she had to create a clear mental image of the process of what had happened and in order to do that she needed to see the ambulance and the color of it and it coming down the street and hitting his mum and her being taken to hospital and he just came in and blurted this story out she had no empathy whatsoever because she hadn't taken it in it was all going yeah. far too fast for her now you can imagine in everyday life how irritating and difficult this could be I mean, it's often said that the men are more visual when it comes to sex anyway. And maybe maybe that's the connection, that somehow men are have to see and have an image yeah. of what it is that they want to do before they can do it. You know, that that's why most, yeah. that's why men yeah. tend to be the big um, consumers of pornography and, and the rest of it and, and maybe my friend is right uh, that, that all men are somewhere on the spectrum in that no, sense. don't say that, that don't say that, you know, that no no okay Again, no. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the bad i'm being yeah, the bad no person now but but the, the this visual um uh, projection of 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 desire and and what it is you want yeah. to do uh, onto another person becomes more important for men. That's true. And uh, in the case of autistic men, so four, there's four autistic men to every autistic woman, more or less. And about 2% of the population right. are, are autistic. So it's quite a high number, really, something between 2 and 4%, 2 and 4 people in every 100. So the, the, the sexual issues are likely to be sensory sensitivity. So some men really don't like light touches like that. Some people, some men and women, some people like to be touched like that, you know. Um, they don't like smells. I remember my husband saying to me when I was pregnant, Oh, I'm not having sex with you. You smell funny. Um, it didn't seem to put him off, actually, as I, as I recall. Not that much, anyway. But, um, um, they, they, you know, there's a lot of sensory issues about noise, about um, being overheard, about clocks ticking. I have a thing with clocks ticking, actually. Um, um, yeah, a lot of sensory sensitivities. And, of course, when you're just about to have sex the last thing you want to hear is that you smell funny or you know you're not touching a person in the right way or you know and 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 there's a brutal honesty in autistic people which i absolutely love that actually i love that um yeah <laughs> maybe that's what you're attracted to in 
autistic people is the honesty and the, the clarity, not yeah. not hiding behind, you know, the normal sort of social um, yeah. expectations uh, of yeah. a conversation. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I'm very, very attracted to that kind of uh, unpredictability, I would say, is one of the huge mm. attractions. Because um, having been in a rather companionate relationship in my early life, where we, you know, it's more sort of brother and sister kind of thing. And God, you know, when you can finish somebody's sentence, wow, that's so boring after a while. You know, I <laughs> love the unpredictability of, of, um, of a relationship with a person with autism. But uh, of course, it can be very hurtful. You know, it can, if somebody says to you, I don't fancy you. Oh, okay. Okay. But I mean, it doesn't matter to me now at all. You know, I can take that sort of thing. And I think, yeah, good on you, you know, good on you for being honest. And I'd much rather have mm. the honesty. And with the honesty comes passion, actually, mm. often, which is what we're all looking for, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I mean, I was with somebody for lunch today who was describing, because I was saying that we were going to have this this conversation and he said that he was in a relationship with an autistic woman which was really great for a while um but then he went into therapy and he became a more feeling type of person which he wasn't earlier in the relationship he was much colder and through going into therapy he became a much warmer more compassionate person and she found that quite difficult mm. because he was seeking now somebody who was more empathetic mm. and she wasn't able to provide that so mm, they so it, it it didn't really work but what he said was really interesting because we were talking about something about you know if a if a cat dies or something um would she feel sad and he said no, no, there's a difference between empathy and compassion, you know, and he said, which I think is a, is a, is a distinction. I don't know if you agree with that, but I thought that was really interesting. The fact that he made a different, you know, he saw the di distinction between empathy, feeling what, you know, as he described, it was like, if you feel sad and you say, my mother's just died and I feel sad. If, if, uh, you know, uh, being an empathetic person, I think I would feel also very sad and mm -hmm. I would, you know, be very upset by that and mm -hmm. and might also cry and, you know, express empathy because I feel I could feel what it what it must feel like to have the death mm -hmm. of a parent. Right. But mm -hmm. but compassion is is not the same. I don't feel, you know, that that sense of compassion for somebody somebody who's sick feeling compassionate towards them so I think you know I don't know if you'd agree with that but I thought that was an interesting distinction for him to make having having been in a relationship with an autistic person mm. wow I don't know what do you think Peter about that distinction well um yes empathy and compassionate are Again, it's a spectrum, really, isn't it? And are they two distinct things? Um, you know, compassion, you know, compassion for a pet that gets injured or is sick or whatever compared to empathy for someone who's lost a parent. I mean, mm. they're 
to me, it seems as though they're just on di- different parts of this spectrum of of emotional um, de- interdependence on on each other, and um, and and maybe maybe the, the 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 problem is where these two spectrums um, coincide um, and where they cross, you know, so mm. that. So that you know the the empathy of one person is higher than than the other, who is on a mm. different part yeah. of the spectrum, and where they cross, yeah. there, there comes a clash. You know, um, mm. so maybe it's, <laughs> there's another uh, a thing you have to put in there, and that's sim- whether you're sympathetic, mm. um, whether these two spectrums are sympathetic with one another. And and what yeah. you really have going in a closer relationship is that you are you are in sympathy with each other as well as being empathetic mm. and compassionate. Yeah, I always think of our relationship as as going in waves, like sine waves, and sometimes we, right, right, we exactly. cross over, yeah. <laughs> and mm. sometimes we don't. Uh, and the unpredictability is one of the attractants there. Um, mm. But I think going back to this empathy question, empathy is quite a pre- precise thing. It's the ability to verbalize, to, to to understand another person's feelings, to be mm. to. Uh, mm. And compassion's not quite the same. It's more of an external thing, isn't it? Yes. You know, I yes. feel compassionate to you because you have whatever. You know, uh, whereas empathy. I don't know if I really experience empathy actually very often. Probably shouldn't say it's hard. That, but, it's hard to pin yeah. down what it is exactly. Yeah, just it's hard to pin it down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, just uh, completely unrelated. But the person that I have was in the longest relationship with was um, somebody who was um, well. One of the one of the key aspects of our relationship was that in the twelve years that we were together, he never said "I love you." Mm. So, um, and mm. for me, that was kind of key to what I suspected, although not diagnosed, yeah. but what I suspected was yeah. some aspect of being, you know, neurodiverse. Definitely, um, definitely. I, I, I was, you know. I and and you know I'll be honest that not not having somebody that could express their feelings towards me in that way did take a massive impact uh, hit on my self esteem. You know, mm. I mean, I think you have to be an incredibly confident person, especially a woman, mm. to deal with with somebody who finds it difficult to express their feelings. Just. Yeah. Mm. Full stop. I mean, I'm not great at it, and I'm, and I'm, and I'd be the first to admit that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I thought we weren't I have, allowed to say I, the L word. Uh, the L word. Yeah, I mean, oh, I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, um, I don't use it very often, but I have definitely, I have used it in my life. Well, we don't use it very, never, never. No, never. there's a, there's a funny story, a kind of an archetypal story that is told about. Uh, uh, autistic men, which is, um, and Tony Atwood tells this story, so it's it's from a good provenance. Uh, he says, you know, I said to this guy um, with his wife in the room, um, you know, um, why do you not 
say to your wife that you love her? And he said, I told her I loved her on the 6th of May, 1957, <laughs> at 10.45, the day we got married. My feelings haven't changed. I have felt no need to say it again. <laughs> if it, if my feelings do change, you will be the first to know, dear. <laughs> and that is, uh, yeah. you know, that's uh, that's yeah, quite good. good. But I've actually, I thought you might ask me about this, and I've actually got some rather nice uh, definitions of love that were given by men with us with uh, autism. So um, these just uh, five or six that off the list. Love is putting up a shelf. Love is allowing me the, the space to pursue my own interests. Love is companionship. Love is a four letter word. And that is the commonest one you will hear from autistic people. Love is a four letter right. word. Uh, love cannot be observed. They mean that, they mean that sort of um, literally, do they? Yeah, than yeah, yeah, like it's horrible because it can't be defined very well. And if it can't be defined, I won't have the right answer. And therefore, it's a stupid word. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, and then one person said, love is allowing my, my attempt to connect with another's thoughts and feelings. So that's a, perhaps a more neurotypical kind of. Yeah, yeah uh, getting response. close yeah, yeah. To, to empathy, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and I suspect also, you know, probably a bit like you, Barbara, that I do find these sorts of people generally attractive. <laughs> <because> <laughs> um, you know, uh, I the 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 last um, the last boyfriend I had, he he, I think he would probably say that love was putting up a shelf, yeah, because right. he loved doing things around the house for me that without. Yeah. Ask me asking for it, right? Well, he was maybe just, it is. He was maybe just, that's what love is. Well, it, yeah. I mean, I did under appreciate that his way of showing that he cared was doing things without being asked. Yeah. You know, just using, you know, knowing that they that they were things that I wanted done around my house. And he mm. would just, you know, come back and say, oh, I, the door was a bit squeaky or I put a lock there because I thought it needed yeah. it. And yeah. I built you a set of steps because I thought, you know, that yeah. that needed to happen. Yeah. The least tactile person I have ever met in my entire life. Yeah. The mm. man did not touch me for six months. Wow. Not a finger, not a finger on me, right? Sex, sex, okay, yeah, he, he enjoyed sex when you know from time to time, but but yeah, putting up a shelf, man, uh, love doing, love putting up a shelf, good shelf, yeah. <laughs> good shelf. Well, of course, in the in the love languages book, uh, the books, uh, acts of service like that is regarded as a way of showing love, which is good because it is kind of going across the spectrum of 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 how we show love whatever mm, that is exactly. to each other yeah 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 but i think you know on the other on the other hand um the being you know being i have a few people that i know who um who are very easily distracted and find it very very difficult to focus on anything mm. and i personally find them quite frustrating yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. just generally because yeah. um it's not that they're not expressive about their emotions but not they're just not kind of they always feel like there's half their brain is somewhere else 
you know yeah i think it's that you know adhd is characterized by people pacing the room and that is something that i notice with my adhd clients that they pace the room look out the window put the blind up and down uh you know it's very hard to calm their nervous system to the point where they can be they they can work with and their partners get frustrated but i wanted to say something about the attraction really because it is said that every autistic person needs a social secretary well that you you know for any autistic people that are listening in i'm sorry if that sounds a bit patronizing but it, it is said it's often been said um and the kind of person that is a good partner for a for an autistic person is somebody rather like me who is rather motherly quite kind quite nice quite amusing quite good tempered on the whole quite calm um easygoing broad-minded like sex <laughs> um and you know is fascinated by difference uh, yeah. And mm. so, you know, I can see why you might be attracted, Suzanne. Yeah, to, yeah. Uh, what about you, Peter? Do you think you'd be attracted to um, an autistic person and they to you? Um, I think they to me more <laughs> than me to them, although um, my experience of it is not that wide. I don't know that because it's probably four to one men to women. Um you don't come across autistic women mm. very often, whereas yeah. I do know quite a lot of autistic or men who are on the spectrum. Um, mm. But I don't see why I, I wouldn't be attracted to them apart from the factors that you've just mentioned, really. Um, mm. And that is, you know, the motherly, caring, blah, blah, blah side of things. Um it's something that perhaps I do look for, but I don't know if that's anything to do with attraction to a certain type of person because of their neurological makeup, but mm. because because of my own my own family background and history, and it's very difficult to separate out your own personal experiences and the mm. way you're brought up and the effect that your childhood had on you. With with the effect that some sort of neurological condition has on on you, mm. and that's what I think why people are latching on to this neuro neurodivergent label now to a certain extent because they um, because they think it's a way into finding an explanation for this behaviour that they have, which is mm. which is problematical in some way, you know, mm. and. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, the more I listen to you, the more I think I'm autistic. But then, the, the, you know, the uh, when I when I actually think about it, obviously, um, you know, I am somewhere on a spectrum because everyone is. But yeah. you know, if I were to do that test, I'd probably be pretty low down on the on the scale. Mm. You yeah, know, maybe you would. it's very difficult to 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 judge how you're going to react to anything at any time. Um, yeah. Suzanne would probably have a very different uh, view of me, my inability to focus on things, for example. Oh, I know okay. it drives yeah. her completely yeah. bonkers. Um, yeah. uh, the fact that I'm not 
as clean and tidy or at least as tidy as she is you know um right <laughs> all sorts of things but those are the normal sort of male female difficulties and uh, you know it's mm. just difficult to to separate these threads out anyway in the model of of, of sexuality that i prefer which i can never think how to say that there is we have to look at behaviours in terms of cultural dislike or cultural acceptance, don't we? Rather than mm. pathologise everything under the sun and say, well, yeah, BDSM is paraphilia, BDSM is, you know, weird, or exhibitionism is weird, or fetishism is weird. You know, it's, it's, it's things change. And, and look at the LGBTQ plus community. I mean, uh, autistic people are are five to seven times more likely to be autistic than oh. the general population. So which is really interesting. And nobody really knows why that is. And there's quite a lot of research going on to work out, you know, what, what the link is there. But I think this is why there's quite a lot of cultural heft behind neurodivergence at the moment, because it sort of chimes with the, these more accepting times that we're living in. You know, I've, I've got mm. quite a few clients who might come in and say, well, I'm living with a trans woman and I'm having a relationship with a gay man. And, you know, and you think, oh, good on you, <laughs> you know, if you can make it work. Um, yeah. and, and there's a lot of talking going on. And in fact, actually, in terms of social, um, social talk, it's really helpful to autistic people to have those opportunities to think about, am I offending somebody? Am I hurting them? Am I, how am I managing two different relationships here? It's fascinating, really, uh, especially mm. when there are children involved um, trying yeah. to make complex relationships work. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I suspect that, you know, that the open-mindedness, the some of the things around um, sexual behaviors that are outside the norm, um, and I think probably both of us would subscribe to this, is yeah. is partly the ability to be able to want either want to do it, to do it, to 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 manifest a life in which this becomes part of your lifestyle to a certain extent does require either for me being either incredibly emotionally mature so that you can, you know, you're really both dealing with deep, deep issues around jealousy and all the other stuff that comes up or completely the opposite where you have so little access to your emotional world that actually it becomes really easy because yeah. because it's not something that um, has is is associated with emotions and yeah. certainly my you know my ability to have casual sex is because I can literally just switch off my um, yeah. emotions in those scenarios and I am really comfortable doing that mm. and. It's just like having a really nice meal or a really crappy McDonald's, frankly, <laughs> uh, depending on more, most of the time it's a McDonald's than it is a nice meal. Um, yeah, if it's a Why nice meal, it? then Why I do might. It? Why do you know, it to McDonald's? Because I like the adventure and the excitement right, and I like yeah. the newness of it and I like newness and I just, you know, there's a part of me that just likes all of that sort of stuff. But, you know, for Peter, there's... There's not. I, I personally think there's not. There's. There's. He's not in that 
he's not he's not like that you know well what he do doesn't, you think, he doesn't well <laughs> well, I do. I do like casual sex, but it's just harder to get it's than it is for a woman. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But also, I think it comes with more. It comes with more feelings. Generally, it's my it's yes. my view. You know? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, I'm looking for the long, the longer meal rather than than the McDonald's hit. You know. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I'm surprised to hear you say that, Peter, because in your in your age group, there should be seven women for every man. <laughs> Sorry, yes, that's well, right. Seven women point, for every man. Man. Point point them out to me then. So yeah. <laughs> Line them up, Barbara. <laughs> uh, my, you can find my telephone number on my Facebook profile. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, that's a good place to end. Actually, let's. I think uh, it's good. Let's end with yeah. that. Seven women for Peter and <laughs> uh, me, just going good off for the, for the cheap <laughs> McDonald's every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for okay. uh, having the chat. It was really interesting. Thanks a lot. Thank you Thank so you. much. Uh, we will post your all your um, social and your website and any books. I know you've got you've written loads of books about dating, about relationships and, and things. So so that, um, they're still available. I'm assuming some of them are really really out of date though. <laughs> Don't mm-hmm. bother. Don't worry about that. Don't worry. All right, all right, Barbara. It's been lovely chatting. <laughs> yeah, to you. lovely chatting to you. Thank you, you very too. much for coming. Yeah, on. thanks Thank a lot. You. Good fun. Bye for now. Bye. 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 Bye.